2: On News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
2: And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
3: And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour.
1: Terry, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
4: I was interested in finding out what you think about if you had several different retirement accounts, combining them all together and turning them over to companies that manage retirement investments or any kind of investments for you. Of course, they do it for a fee, and I just don't know anything about it, but it's been suggested to me that that's what I ought to do.
1: How old are you, Terry? I'm 46. You married a single? Married. And uh, how old's your husband? 47. What's your income? About a hundred thousand. All right, and what's his income? Oh no, together. I'm sorry. Oh, it's combined income. Yes. Okay, combined income, about 100000 uh, hundred thousand. Do you know what your expenses are? Your living expenses are running.
4: They're probably running about eighty to ninety.
1: All right, so you're spending most of what you're. Well, matter of fact, that doesn't even leave enough to pay for taxes.
4: Well, just enough to pay for taxes, and we have a retirement account that right. was
1: funded through our business. You own your own business. We have our own corporation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Small business. All right. So now, what type of retirement plan do you have right now?
4: SEP IRAs in mm-hmm. about six or eight different ones.
1: You've got six or eight SEPs, mm-hmm. and what's the combined value of all of them? Probably about one hundred and twenty-five thousand. One hundred and twenty-five thousand. Have you been able to fund it to the max in the past years? Yes. What types of SEP IRA investments is it in now?
4: It's in mutual funds.
1: Individual mutual funds?
4: Individual mutual funds.
1: So you have a SEP account with one mutual fund and a SEP account with another mutual fund. Is is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. All right. And you also have both SEPs because you have one for you and one for your husband? That is correct. All right. Are you both employees or is yes. one the We are both employees. All right. What about the other employees? The business does it for them. The All business right. does it for everybody. Okay. Now, you and your husband, then, you cannot combine your SEP IRA accounts with his. No, that is correct.
4: Oh, oh, oh I understand that. Yeah, I understand that. All right. But, I mean, like I could combine my six or eight and his six rate can be combined.
1: Yes. About how much is in yours and how much is in his?
4: Oh, I'd say the difference, probably 80 and 40. A- 85 and 40, something like that.
1: All right. About 85 is is his and about 40 is yours? Right. Okay. First of all, your money should be rolled over and combined, yes, into one SEP account. He should have his 85000 with one trustee, and you should have your 40000 with another trustee. Okay. That does not necessarily mean, however, that you should give up mutual funds and give it to a money manager. Right. The problem gets bigger and bigger as the years go on about keeping the record keeping. So right. You want the trustee to be one where you're getting one consolidated statement, especially when you start wanting to go ahead and make withdrawals. Also, to move money. If you were to move it from one trustee to another trustee, you have to do a trustee-to-trustee transfer. And you can do that as many times as you want during the year, but they usually surrender penalties to come away from one trustee to another. So, yes, you should be in one trustee.
4: But this thing about putting all your eggs in one basket, if you put it all with that particular
1: fund... I'm not recommending. I definitely don't think you should do that. Okay. You should never have all of your money in any one fund. Okay. You need an asset allocation pattern. But what I'm trying to explain to you is don't confuse the chicken house with the chickens. You just asked me, should all of your chickens be in one chicken house? The answer is yes. Okay. But you don't want to have one big, giant, fat chicken and a bunch of little tiny chickens. You want all your chickens to be relatively the same size. Right. Your chickens are the investments. So if he's got $85,000... And This year he's going to put in another 225. that's going to be 100,000 dollars. I'd maybe have that spread over 520s, or 425s. You see, see what I mean?:
2: See, so your chicken house is like your trustee. Right. So you would have one trustee instead of having six or eight trustees, right? Right. And there are such animals out there as as independent trust companies.
1: They could also, that's a very good point, Linda. She could have an independent trust company. Hers is small enough to where she might go with one custodial. It's a $10 fee instead of $40. Right, right. Going to an independent trust company will let you go across different families of funds and still have it with one trustee. Right. Okay. Okay. But I don't think you should go into a money manager's hands. I think that you should stay with the mutual funds, but you should have an asset allocation pattern. You should check you should select the mutual funds with the help of a financial planner. You should develop an asset allocation pattern saying how much money should be equally spread amongst different investments so you don't have all your eggs in any one basket.
2: Right, okay. And if we can be of any assistance, you can call me at the office in Raleigh. That number is nine one nine Eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA seven thousand. All right then. Well, I thank you very much. Well,
3: well,
1: thank sure you for welcome. calling,
2: Terry. Okay. All right, take care.
1: You know, I like Terry's call. I really do, uh, because the the confusion between the IRA trustee, which we call the chicken house, because chickens are a good illustration for investments. It's confusing the chicken house with the chickens. It's confusing the IRA trustee. With the investments,
3: well, Doug, what is the difference between a money manager or mutual funds or annuities in IRAs?
1: Yeah, that's that's a very good question, Deborah. Because here we're talking about the chickens, right? Now we're talking about the investments themselves, and the most common three types of investments in IRAs are, as you say, annuities, managed accounts of money managers. And mutual funds. So let's consider them for a moment. Okay. First of all, annuities will have the highest amount of fees because these are insurance contracts that are wrapped around investments, which could be money managers or mutual funds. So you're paying the fees for the insurance company, and you're also paying the fees at the investment level. Right. All right? The underlying subaccounts. Right. Right. So, annuities, in my opinion, are the wrong choice, but they're very, very, very popular. The second choice are managed accounts. And here, it's exactly what Terry was implying. We're going to give our money to a manager, and he will be buying and selling stocks or bonds on our behalf. That's called a managed account. And those fees are generally 1% to 3% a year. Now, when you think about that, that means on, uh, let's say it's a large amount so we can see what we're talking about. If it was a million-dollar SEP IRA, we're talking about $10,000 to $30,000 a year in fees. It's true the annuities have higher fees, but still, that's pretty heavy. Right. And also, I don't think that's the wisest way to go because the data reporting their track records and their performances is not as transparent. So the third way are the mutual funds. The mutual funds are giant pools where the manager of the fund buys and sells stocks, but you now could have, as I told Terry, you could have maybe five different mutual funds, each mutual fund holding maybe... 50 to 100 stocks, and the fees there are very, very low compared to the managed accounts or the annuities. Once you've decided what you want, then you go and say, what kind of chicken house? Do I put
3: these chickens in? Right,
1: and I prefer the independent trustee that has no products to sell you.
3: Another word, another thing, uh, the trustee is called custodian. custodian. The custodian,
1: that's right. Insurance companies typically are the custodians for annuities in IRAs. But I like the independent trustees, independent uh, custodians that have no products to sell.
3: If you want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000,
2: and we will get started. We'll make a list of the questions that are on your mind. Now, as we're talking about uh, retirement plans and issues regarding retirement, uh, there was a very interesting article from the Financial Planning Association about making the most of your 401k. And many of our uh, listeners that have met with us that we've seen over the years uh, contribute to their 401k. Isn't that true, Deborah?
3: Yeah, I would say most people who uh, the employer offers it uh, are going to be likely to participate. Now, you probably want to know a little bit more about a 401k. So let's explain some of the fundamental features of 401k plans and their benefits. Many rely increasingly on their 401k retirement plans to provide the means to pursue their investment goals. That's because the 401k plan offers a variety of attractive features that make investing for the future easy and potentially profitable. So first we need to know, what is a 401k plan?
1: It's an employee-funded savings plan for retirement.
2: Now, how are the 401k plans taxed? A traditional
3: 401k plan allows you to defer taxes on the portion of your salary contributed to the plan until the funds are withdrawn in retirement. At that point, contributions and earnings are taxed as ordinary income. In addition, because the amount of your pre-tax contribution is deducted directly from your paycheck, your taxable income is reduced, which in turn lowers your tax burden.
1: And that really, I think, is the main reason people contribute to a 401k plan to reduce their taxes. There are some other advantages, and many companies that offer 401k plans to their employees, the employer could match part or all of the contributions that you make to your plan. So typically, an employer would match maybe 50% of your First, 6%. So, you're going to contribute maybe 6% of your salary, and the employer is going to throw in 50 cents for every dollar that you contribute. So, this is another feature that many 401k plans offer.
3: Now, as for distributions, traditional plans require that distributions not be taken until after 59 and a half or age 55 if you are separating from service, from the employer, from whose plan the distributions are withdrawn. Although there are certain exceptions for hardship withdrawals. If a distribution is not qualified, a 10% IRS additional federal tax will apply, in addition to the ordinary income taxes on all pre-tax contributions and earnings,
1: diligent workers who who labored for twenty-five years or more, thirty years at high. Exactly. or whatever, <laughs> a lifetime. Yeah, when they retire, what kind of dollars are they seeing in their four hundred one ks?
2: You know, a half a million to a million. That's and, right, and sometimes even more if you know if you're an executive.
1: So it has become a very strong part. Of the investment landscape for employees. If
3: this sounds like you, definitely call during the week at 919 872 7000. That's 919 872 7000.
2: Now, another issue that uh, we need to look at with regard to making the most of your 401k is when you change jobs or when you retire. Generally, you will have four different options for your plan balance. And the first option is, you can keep your account in your former employer's plan if it's permitted. This is not a choice that we always recommend, but that is the first choice that you have. Secondly, you can also transfer the balances to your new employer's plan. And oftentimes, we don't recommend that. On the uh, the third uh, point Or the third option is that you can roll over the balance to an IRA, an individual retirement account. And the fourth option that you have when you're changing jobs or you retire is that you can take a cash distribution.
1: Yeah, and so now we're talking really about the chicken houses, the chicken house itself If you take that cash distribution, everything is coming out of the chicken house. So if you've accumulated a million dollars, it's like you just got a paycheck of a million dollars that year and you will probably have $400,000 of taxes on it. So obviously, that is not the thing that we recommend. We do like the fact that you can roll it over tax-free into an IRA when you're moving from chicken house to chicken house. Which brings us to the most important aspect, are what about the chickens or choosing the investments?
3: Yeah, most plans provide you with several options in which to invest your contributions. This flexibility allows you to spread out your contributions or diversify among different types of investments. But from our experience, it's usually one of the most frequent questions that we get asked to give advice on. Deborah, Doug, can you help me choose the chickens or investments in my
2: 401k? Now what are the advantages of a 401k?
1: Well, you have pre-tax contributions, that's first of all. Okay. And they're tax-deferred earnings on the on what's in them. So it becomes very powerful for what's happening inside because there's no taxation. Then you also can choose between different asset classes and different investment vehicles. And of course, there is the potential for matching by your employer. In a sense, I guess for most people, a 401k plan can become the cornerstone of their personal investment savings program. It becomes the foundation of your financial future in many cases. So I would say call us at Lewis Financial Management to help you determine if your employer's 401k plan could help make your financial future more confident. And even we give advice on which investments in your company's 401k plan to participate in.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF. And if you would like a second opinion regarding your investment portfolio and whether or not you should participate in your company 401k plan, or maybe you are wondering have you chosen the right investment vehicles within your 401k plan? Whatever your financial planning issues are, call us at Lewis Financial Management, LLC. We're in Midtown Raleigh. That number to call is 919 872 Let us schedule an appointment for you, 919-USA-7000. What's new in the world of investment planning?
1: Well, investment planning, you know, Linda, I think it might be good if we come back to just the basics for a lot of our listeners in trying to figure out exactly what is a mutual fund. Because, you know, Linda, a mutual fund is really an investment company. In other words, it's a company that invests in investments. It invests in stocks and bonds and things like that on behalf of other individuals with common goals.
2: And to understand mutual funds, let's explore six features about mutual funds. Okay. First is simplicity. In today's complex financial marketplace, Mutual funds offer investors a simpler, less expensive, and less time-consuming method of investing in stocks, bonds, and government securities than trading them individually. Investors invest in the fund, and the fund managers invest in the securities. So, the first feature is simplicity. Right, Doug?
1: Right. Now, the second feature of mutual funds is diversification. By pooling different investors' dollars and spreading them over dozens of stocks or bonds, the mutual fund can diversify its holdings. A diversified portfolio reduces risk. Should some of those investments turn sour and increases the chance of picking up some potential winners, it's the old principle of not putting all your eggs in any one basket. So the second feature of a mutual fund is diversification.
4: A
2: third feature of mutual funds is choice. A mutual fund investor has more options than ever before. There are stock mutual funds, bond mutual funds, government bond mutual funds, tax-free mutual funds to satisfy all outlooks from the most conservative to the most aggressive. Of course, generally speaking, intelligently assumed risk increases the opportunity for greater return. Mutual fund investors select a fund with an investment objective that most closely matches their own. For example... One may want to maximize their current income or maximize long-term growth, or they may want some combination of growth and income. Is that correct? Right. Go ahead, get started. Give
3: us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. In
1: addition... There are specialized funds, Lynn, which are available these days. For instance, there are funds that invest only in certain geographic regions of the U.S. or of the world, or certain industries like healthcare funds or technology funds or energy funds or bank funds. There are even funds that have adopted certain social criteria for people who only want to invest in areas of the economy designed to help humanity. So the third feature of a mutual fund is choice, big range of choice.
2: The fourth feature of a mutual fund is professional management. Once you've selected a mutual fund with your objectives, the investment decisions are made by the fund managers. These professionals decide when to invest your money. The money managers make these decisions based on extensive outgoing economic research into the financial performance of individual companies or individual bonds, taking into account general economic and market trends. Right, Doug?
1: Yeah, and and that's good, Lynn, because, you know, after analyzing all of this data, then the manager chooses investments that best match the objectives of the fund. And as economic conditions change, the fund may adjust the mix of its investments to adapt either a more aggressive or a more defensive posture. So the fourth feature is professional management, probably the most important feature.
2: The fifth feature of mutual funds is flexibility. While some investors prefer to pick a single fund and stick with it for many years, others look for a family of funds. And a number of different mutual funds with different objectives all under the one roof usually fall under the category of a family of funds, right?
1: Yeah, in a family of funds, investors can switch then from one fund to the other fund as their objectives change. And the nice thing about family of fund investing is there's no commission charges. For example, they might want growth of capital during their early years and then later at retirement want income from their fund. Well, in a family of funds, they might have had a growth fund for years and now with simple telephone call, they can switch to a government bond fund paying monthly checks. And there would be no commission charges when they do that switch. Or they might have an interest in international investing and switch to a fund investing in European companies. So, the fifth feature is flexibility.
2: The sixth feature of a mutual fund is liquidity. Mutual fund investors can cash in all or part of their shares at any time at the day's price. The fund is always ready to buy back the shares at the net asset value quoted in your daily paper. Basically, mutual funds offer just about something for everyone, whether you've only got $500 or $5 million. So, whatever your objectives, Safety or income or growth or tax savings, mutual funds probably have something for you. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. These features of a mutual fund itself make, make us at least take a look and see, well, that's what a mutual fund is. And for those who aren't real clear, I hope the comments have helped. Well, some people, you'd be
2: surprised. I get people that call in, uh, listeners that call in at the office, and maybe they're participating in some vehicle within their 401K, but they don't understand what it is, or how it works. So it is good to come back to the basics.
1: My office number is 872-7000. If I can help you any more, give us a call during the week. All right, Doug, let's take another call. John, this is Doug Lewis with Money Matters. How can I help you this evening?
5: Uh, yes, Doug, I had a question for you. My wife and I are going through uh, refinancing our mortgage now. Uh, and the question that I have is, is we're going... Looking at the options of going from a thirty to a fifteen-year type arrangement, mm-hmm. uh, comparing that to say the additional amount that—well, the situation is that we don't our our new mortgage is only available in a thirty. We're going with a five twenty-five plan, right? Um, and we're comparing whether or not to pay the additional amount to say pay it a fifteen-year amortization versus putting that additional money into some other type of uh, investment.
1: How old are you, John?
5: I'm uh, 28.
1: 28 years old. Are you, are you employed? Sure. What's your income? Uh around uh, 45. 45 thousand. Your wife's income? Is she working? Yes. What's her income? Uh around 30. 30 thousand. Combined family income about 75 thousand. Any children at home? Uh, none yet. No children. What we call financial planning for dinks. Dual income, no kids. Dinks. That's right. Uh, living expenses should be able to live on. Actually, probably one of the one of the incomes. Right. Would hope so. <laughs> that sounds good. That means you're... All right. Now, what you've just basically asked, and what's the size of the mortgage?
5: Well, one other thing I'd like to, to say is that the, the house that we're in now, we're, you know, would like to, well, uh, you know, optimistically, are, we're looking in five years or less to move out of this house into a larger house. So we're, we're taking a short-term view versus, say, keeping this house and paying it off. So that we definitely know that we will be moving out within four to five-year time frame.
1: All right. Uh, how big is the mortgage? Uh, it's see, uh, the, dead, nine, the amount of the, that you want to borrow, uh,
5: around one
1: hundred and five dollars $105,000. What's the value of the house? Uh, 130000 130000 And what is the delta, the difference between the 30 year and the 15 year payment?
5: Uh, around, if I recall, about
1: $250, $250 extra month. Right. That, that's, the- that's right. That's on the 525 on the 30-year versus the 15-year fixed. Uh, right, right. Got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you. The okay. question is, in five years, can you invest $250 a month and accumulate more than the interest rate on your loan? If you can't do that with your eyes shut, something's wrong. Right, right. Something's wrong. Uh, if I could have, I would have had you even be in lower. And because you tell me that you're leaving in five years, see, with a 2% annual cap... You could actually be even getting be getting any better a better return. But yeah, you'll accumulate more. Any decent mutual fund is going to go ahead and get more than five percent for you over the next five years. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'll accumulate far more this way.
3: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand or visit our website. Doug and
1: Yeah. Now the whole trick to this thing is that money better be invested in a pay yourself first plan at the beginning of every month. You'll right. feel very you'll feel like a real fool if five years from now that money is not sitting somewhere having accumulated.
5: Right. I, I guess what from everyone that I've kind of you know just around work and whatnot, I'm knocking it around with different people is that do you want to accept that risk? You know, whereas if you're putting it into your house, so that you're not making really anything other than what your interest rate of your mortgage is know that you'll get
1: that money out when you sell the house. Yeah, unfortunately, you're listening to this, the, the, these people who are your new financial planners, and <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> right. In my opinion, they don't. Right. Okay? Yeah, you need to go ahead and select a good mutual fund, work with a certified financial planner to help get an, a mutual fund that will, that will accomplish your objectives, and then go ahead and have that money drafted at the beginning of every month, and you'll be tickled pink five years from now. Right.
2: If you would like some more information on this... I'll be happy to either send you some information or discuss it with you further and you can call me at the office and the number is 8727000 that's USA 7000 and I'll be happy to do what I can to answer your questions.
1: Okay. Thank Appreciate you for you calling answering. John. Uh-huh. Bye-bye.
2: I love callers like that. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like he wants to learn something and it's it's so it's so um exciting when the lights come on, you know, because saving can happen at any time, at you know, in that young stage when you're starting out. Uh, and, you know, in John's situation, both he and his wife are working. But when you start saving... It ha- Things happen, right? Debs? It really does. And I then, mean, it happened in your life when you st- started saving right. early in life. But really, I think more importantly is that two hundred and fifty that Doug was
3: speaking to, which is if he were to put two hundred and fifty dollars a month for let's say twenty years set aside, that just plain savings would be sixty thousand. If I just use my calculator real quick and just run it at seven percent, that two hundred and fifty per month would have an opportunity over the twenty years to grow into about a hundred and thirty thousand. But that simple function of finding extra couple hundred bucks a month to set aside on a regular basis, like you said before, you'd pay the living expenses, but you set it aside, it has the power to grow and and just you know, you're going, you're going to be uh, setting aside um, for the, the mortgage. If you can use that delta, you can increase your net worth.
1: You're right, Linda and Deborah, you're absolutely right. Because I think it was Einstein that said that the eighth natural wonder of the world is the law of compound interest. It's incredible when you look at the numbers, when we see what happens to a 28 year old by the time he is 65. And of course, we have had the privilege I think it was last year that I looked back and did a little summary of how many of our clients began with these pay yourself first plans back 20 years ago or so and are now middle, middle, they're now millionaires, what we call middle class millionaires because they're not trust fund babies. These are ones that had the habit, the discipline, and you know, He's not earning a lot of money. He's only earning what the family's only earning, about $70,000 a year. Making
3: it possible for everyone to That's do That's right. This. And I
1: would have to say, I agree with Linda, we are not the cobbler without shoes. We taught these principles to our children. We taught it to our youngest. We taught it to Deborah uh, to go ahead and put these principles in, in place, and you get know, them in practice and it actually works.
3: It does it does and many of the the clients who came to us 20 years ago, thirty years ago or teach have taught their own children that. So this setting aside principle is um, is one that we can all use. Another thing that is uh, that needs to be spoken to is there there need to be retirement um, pointers for for single folks, people who are either uh, not married or no longer married. A lot of financial planning revolves around families and married couples. But if you're single, you need just as much planning to navigate towards retirement.
1: That's right. That's right. And we, of course, have many clients who are single. I would say the first tip for singles in regard to retirement planning is get your estate plan in order. You need an estate plan whether or not you have a family or heirs to receive your assets. Single adults need a basic will and powers of attorney for finances, and a proxy for healthcare in case you become incapacitated and can't make your own decision. And then depending on your situation, you may also want to explore a revocable living trust, which enables a successor trustee to carry out your wishes if you're incapacitated and can't function on your own. Also check the beneficiaries on your retirement plans, such as your 401k or your IRA, unless you want the state to end up North Carolina deciding where your funds go after your death. So that's the first tip I can say for singles.
2: Um, Another tip to remember is establish income to fall back on. Single living may be on the rise, but married folks often still enjoy a second household income, or at least the potential for the other spouse to work to help with the expenses. So if you're single, just plain lack this backup. So you should have about an equivalent of three to six months of normal living expenses in a savings account or a money market.
1: Third is to save for retirement. This is the pay-yourself-first plan all over again. There are plans like 401ks and IRAs, and they're just as important, if not more important, for singles as for married couples for a very familiar reason. Singles have no other financial backup. So first, take advantage of any contribution match that your employer offers for your 401k. That's just a no-brainer. That's free money. Some employers match whatever you contribute with as much as 5.5% of your annual pay. Next, if your income allows it, you might want to fund a Roth IRA, at least if you're under 40 years old. This is going to allow you to to get a pot of money to pull from tax-free in retirement. The Roth IRA offers great advantages for a single person, such as allowed withdrawals before retirement age or investment flexibility and the ability to contribute to your 401k at the same time.
3: So these are some important things that single people need to think about.
1: Financial planning for singles is, I'm discovering probably as important as financial planning for married couples.
3: If you have a question and would like to ask it either after hours or have me call you back after the show, feel free to call the office, 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000.
2: Here's another question about IRA transfers. How often can one change an IRA custodian?
1: Well, that's a real good question. You got to be real careful about that. It depends on how you do it. You need to know the difference between a rollover and a transfer. Once a year, you can call your current IRA custodian and say, "Give me my money back," whether it's at a bank or a mutual fund or whatever, and you got 60 days to then go ahead and move it to another IRA custodian. That's a rollover. And if you do that more than once in a year, you're you got problems with the IRS. Mm. On the other hand, if you do what's called a transfer, a trustee to trustee transfer, custodian to custodian transfer, Telling your IRA custodian, don't give me the money, but send it over to that custodian or that mutual fund sponsor or whatever, And there's no limit to how many times you can change that during the year.
2: So if you exceed that 60 days, you'll probably get penalized? Yeah, that yeah that's penalized?
1: real serious, as a matter of fact.
2: Our number here in Raleigh, uh, if you'd like to give a call, is uh, 872-7000.
1: That's USA-7000. Okay, Lee, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening?
5: Oh, good evening, I have a question about selling investment property. All right. Um, I've got a condominium uh, that we bought for uh, rental investment property. Right. And if I sell it, is there any way to shelter that?
1: Do you owe any mortgage on it? Yes. Do you owe any debt on it? Yes. Is there a way to sell it and avoid the capital gains tax? Right. The answer to that question is yes, if you set up a charitable remainder unit trust. Before you have any written agreement between you and any buyer. Absolutely. You then, and you also must release yourself of any mortgage. So you got to pay off that mortgage, and then you transfer this property, or you give this property, to a charitable trust. You remain the trustee of that trust, so that you are basically giving it from your right pocket to your left pocket. You are giving it away from yourself as the individual owner, to yourself as trustee for a charitable trust. Then, the trust sells it to your buyer, and pays no capital gains tax. The reason the trust can do that is because you've agreed in your trust document that after you and your wife die, what's left in that trust will go to a charity. I see. But you must make sure that there is no mortgage because you can't transfer it into the trust with a mortgage on it. Okay.
2: And if you need any uh, further information, give us a call at the office here in Raleigh at eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA 7000.
1: Thank you very much for your help. Thank you for calling, Lee. Goodbye.
2: What's new in the world of, what do we have here, Debs? Cash flow planning.
1: Oh, cash flow planning. It's good to remember that financial planning is much more than investments. Right. There is tax planning, retirement planning, cash flow planning, estate planning, insurance planning. True financial planners should be practicing all areas and cash flow planning is definitely a crucial issue what was the question
3: well the question was in regard to social security and when is the right time for people to be taking and what are some of the considerations that financial planners so while this was actually um the reason i wanted to bring it up was based on two conversations i had with people this week it was summed up nicely in an article that said keeping your clients from grabbing the cookie and it said despite the fact that many Americans haven't saved enough for retirement, the majority claim Social Security benefits at the first opportunity, substantially reducing their monthly benefit for the
1: rest of their lives. You know, Deborah a lot of people feel that analyzing the Social Security story will solve the issue. Do I take it now and end up with a with uh with, 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 with more comfort, or do I End up with more money if I delay and wait till I'm 66 or even wait till I'm 70 years old. Mm -hmm. The longer you delay, the bigger social security check you will get. That's exactly correct. But if you only analyze one piece of your world, Social Security Choice Number One versus Social Security Choice Number Two, then you totally ignore real life cash flow planning. And real life cash flow planning would go like this. If indeed You don't need to live off of that check. Okay. Yes, you should take it when you're 62. Really? Yes, if you don't need to live off it, take it and invest it. Because then you will be dollar cost averaging so that by the time that you are 70, let's say, you will have accumulated more... Then, if you had, and even though you'll get a smaller Social Security check at that time, mm-hmm. actually, you'll get the same check that you started when you're 62. The point is, if you're when you try to, to deal with the Social Security question, okay. you look. You need to take a look at your entire cash flow. That's you, true. You need to answer that question on the basis of how. What other income sources do I have? What is the cash flow that I've got coming from anything else? From a side job, from an investment portfolio from a pension, from anywhere else. You add up all of the cash inflow dollars. And if you don't need them to live on, the Social Security piece, then take it. Then then take take it. it. Then take it. That's exactly right. All right. If you do need need it to live on, then you've got a problem that's got to be solved by looking at your entire world. How do I meet my cash flow needs? Can I delay? And so forth and so on. But the big mistake I see people making when they look at, at, at uh, Social Security is they do what the article probably said. They just grab it as soon as they can. But what do they do? They spend it.
3: If something has popped in your head tonight, give me a call during the week. My number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000.
1: Well, then what's new in the world of investment planning?
2: Asset allocation funds versus balanced funds. Can you maybe elaborate on that?
1: The confusion shouldn't be whether a person has an asset allocation fund or a balanced fund. You know, a balanced mutual fund, Linda, is nothing more than a mutual fund that has some stocks and some bonds in it. Your classic model for a balanced fund is one in which there is 50% stocks and 50% bonds. And the manager of that fund will be buying stocks and selling stocks, buying bonds and selling bonds and try to keep that ratio at 50-50. On the other hand, an asset allocation fund is a mutual fund in which the manager has more flexibility and shifts from more stocks to less stocks and tries to maintain a ratio that he keeps shifting around according to different econometric models that are very hard to understand and so forth. The choice shouldn't be one versus the other. The real issue is you should have asset allocation as the overriding principle to your particular investment portfolio. A person who does not have asset allocation is really in a dangerous position, in my opinion.
2: Because they haven't diversified, right?
1: Or they don't have any system of diversification. They may have diversified all wrongly, oh, but they yeah. have they have no consistency in their diversification. So there should be asset allocation, but it should not be in a particular mutual fund. Well, Doug, what about the issue of using no-load funds? Well, that's another fallacy, Linda. There's a real confusion out there. And I've given a lot of thought recently to where the confusion is coming from. And I finally came up with an answer. First of all, the answer to the question, is there a difference in performance of a no-load or a load fund? The answer is no. Charles Lipper himself said when asked this question, there is no consistency to any difference between load or no-load funds. Therefore, the question has to be the manager's. There are many managers of loaded funds who have outperformed consistently any funds that have no loads to them. So the question shouldn't be load versus no load. It's a nonsense question. That's like saying, can I get more money selling my house with or without a real estate broker? Well, it depends on how good a salesman you are. You know, it doesn't matter. The question also is, what's the house worth? But the real issue that has been confusing the public is who's putting this out. And it's being put out, Linda, by the newsletter writers.
3: If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000.
1: These are the gurus today, the ones who are putting out all the newsletters from the most respected to all the garbagey stuff that I see out there on how to become an instantaneous Millionaire.
2: You know, what I've seen is that some of these newsletter writers, they'll have, you know, their picture on the front and some nice title. But then when you look inside it, you've got all these no load people that are probably. What they're saying
1: is subscribe to us, pay us, and we will be your advisor. And therefore, you don't have to go ahead and pay a load to get into a particular mutual fund. But if you write to any of these newsletter writers and ask for their financial background, they'll respond to you with a letter saying we don't have to file a Form ADV, we don't have to disclose any financial background or investment background or experience of our own. So it's all marketing hype. The best example I know was there was a Money Magazine article and a database that was printed and what they did, they actually took the reports that were reported from Morningstar and then massaged the numbers So that it made it look like certain funds had outperformed other funds. But what they're doing is they're just massaging numbers. They're rearranging them in a certain way. And they said all had to equal or better the S&P in a particular period. Well, there's a real problem there because it didn't tell you any of those mutual funds whose managers had already been gone. So if you're looking at a set of numbers of a mutual fund and the manager who produced that return retired A year and a half ago, (laughs) what good does it do looking at the track record of a fund who the man who made it is gone? And at least a half a dozen of those, the managers, were gone. And that's the sort of thing that these newsletter writers are promoting, that they will give you the inside source on how to become an instantaneous millionaire, and the key is to use no-load funds. Well, that's nonsense. I mean, you need to be working with a financial planner of your own who will actually come down to not a marketing story, but to looking at your individual needs and doing independent research for you. Someone who actually is following what's happening at the different investment companies.
2: If you'd like some further information, I'll be happy to send you some. If you'll call the office at eight seven two seven thousand, and then we can give you some more detailed assistance. What is new? What else is new in investment
3: planning? Well, you know, there are hidden dangers in in index funds. You probably know that index funds are hugely popular. Investors have been pouring money into low-cost, passively managed mutual funds, as well as into exchange-traded funds, which are typically also unmanaged, for the past decade.
1: Yeah, but this headlong rush into index funds may mean that some investors are overlooking some of the risks that come with a strategy of merely seeking to match some sort of market barometer, market index. So I guess it would be good to consider what hidden dangers are lurking inside of your index fund.
2: Well, first, they aren't as static as you think, and that can lead to higher transaction costs.
3: Indexes are constructed and then left alone for the most part, right? No. Okay. Even the S&P 500, which is weighted by market value and is not rebalanced, undergoes 20 to 25 changes in an average year as companies are added to and removed from the index. So the problem with turnover, of course, is going to be higher transaction
2: costs. So, Doug... They
1: buy high. That's the second risk. They buy high. That's exactly right. This applies more to funds that track the traditional indexes like the S&P 500, which is oriented toward large companies, or maybe the Russell 2000 Index, which tracks small company stocks. When an announcement is made that a new company is going to be added to the index, then its stock price typically jumps about 10%, which means that demand is driving the prices higher, and so you're buying higher. You're being forced to buy high. That's the second risk.
3: Another risk is they can hold different stocks than their names suggest. For example, a fund might sound as if it holds only home-building stocks, but actually, less than one-third of its assets could be in real builders. It might also hold stocks in appliance makers, such as a Whirlpool and furnishing retailers and personal product makers. So, this fund that you might think, just because of its name, it could hold a lot of other stocks.
2: Now... Uh, Another risk is that they can switch indexes
1: when they want to. Yeah, that's true, Linda. A fund won't change its index without informing the shareholders, but switching benchmarks does happen.
3: Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your, your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919-872-7000. That's 919
1: Why is this important to know, Doug? Well, an index change is going to result in different holdings. By dropping an MCSI benchmark in favor of the emerging market stock index, which is what happened with Vanguard, South Korean stocks were dropped from the portfolio because they considered South Korea to be a developing country a developed country rather than a, an emerging markets country. And so right away, we've got a whole different risk profile. Right. So this
3: illusion that, oh, I'm in an index fund. I can just sit back and know that everything is going to be very easy, low transactions. Everything is going to sound as exactly as it is. It's being exposed.
1: That's right. And this- there's an even bigger risk we haven't touched yet.
3: What's that, Doug? Well, I guess that's the risk of the diversification. They may not shelter us from a bu- bubble because of the way traditional indexes are structured. The bigger the company, the bigger its weight in the benchmark relative to other stocks. They can leave you more vulnerable to bubbles, which Im- inevitably burst.
1: But, you know, I, I want to end our little discussion on index funds by saying if at all costs, avoid them. Don't go there. There's another way to do so. Consider active management instead of passive management. Passive management is just buying an index and riding on the the wave of the of the market. But you're just waiting for that bubble. You're waiting for that thing to happen whereas active management is where you're looking for managers who who are attempting to beat the index, and then you can test these managers and see, how did you do? Did you beat the index last year? Did you beat the index the year before? Did you beat the index year after year? So look for those active managers that can consistently beat the index, and you have a much more uh, logical way to structure your investment portfolio. So just like we said earlier in the show, we don't like target date funds. We don't like index funds at Lewis Financial Management. We can show you a much better way to do it, much safer, and usually cheaper to you in the long run. That's right.
3: I mean, the overall goal here is to customize everything to your investment needs, your retirement needs, and much of that in the world of retirement planning is not letting the market volatility wreck your investment portfolio. How much risk are you willing to take? A close look at your investments could reveal you're risking a lot more than you think.
1: Yeah, we're always amazed at the number of new clients who come in not knowing how much of their portfolio is at risk.
2: Time and again, we'll find that people never made the switch from the accumulation phase of their investment cycle to the preservation phase that is so important when you're in retirement. And they're taking a lot more risk than they realize and much more than they actually want or never made in any of the investment choices themselves or with understanding what they got into. So one of the first things that we'll do is perform a risk assessment on your current holdings. That is so important,
3: isn't it? Once they get over the shock, they're ready to learn about volatility and what it can do to their portfolios, specifically in retirement when they're depending on those investments for income. That's why it is, Linda, it's so important. That's when market risk represent the potential loss of funds which can have an impact on the retirement lifestyle that dreamed that they dreamed of for years. Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management, 919 919-
2: you know, Debs, volatility isn't as much a concern during those accumulation years. So if you're listening and you're 35 and the market takes a tumble, you've got plenty of time, decades in fact, to recover before you get ready to retire. But... When you're actually in retirement, volatility definitely becomes a significant concern.
3: A major reason for that concern, of course, is you no longer have all those years of potential recovery time ahead of you to counteract anything that goes amiss. If the market takes a deep dip, you have less chance of recovering. And that may mean you'll need to change your spending habits and how much you're
2: withdrawing from your accounts to live on. Well, some people might argue that volatility also involves some big gains in the market to counter those big losses. Won't it all even out in the end? Not necessarily.
3: If you have 100000 invested and take a 30% loss one year, a 30% gain the next year won't even get you back to square one. The 30% loss dropped you to 70000 so you went from 100000 to seventy thousand, that thirty percent gain brought you to ninety-one thousand. You're still nine thousand below where you started, and this is what we talk about when we talk about if you lose money the first year in retirement. This could be a devastating uh, event.
2: So another factor comes into play when you're already retired. At that point, you also may be withdrawing money from some of your accounts to handle your daily living expenses, and to enjoy your retirement. So a big drop in a volatile market combined with your withdrawals makes it even more difficult to keep things steady on the financial side, and it can be devastating. It may be time to take a real hard look at the
3: amount of risk you have in your portfolio by having Lewis Financial Management do a risk analysis for you and determine whether you're taking too much risk. Or are you being too conservative? Or are you playing it just about right?
2: The result could be eye-opening, and it also could provide much-needed information that will help you make better investment choices going forward. So this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial
3: Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call me this week. Let's sit down and discuss your situation. I'd love to hear from you. It's 919-872-7000. You can set up a face-to-face appointment. Our number is 919-872-7000.
1: And of course, don't forget our website dougandlinda.com. That's dougandlinda.com. Visit our website. And those new clients that come to us this next week, we will still be giving one of three books, either a copy of The Wealthy Barber, a copy of Middle Class Millionaire, or a copy of Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. Well, this has been
2: a wonderful show, and I hope everyone has a wonderful week.
1: Yeah, we've had a good talk tonight. We've covered the uh, target date funds. We've covered asset allocation, the risks of index funds, the slowdown in spending during retirement, market volatility in retirement. So we've enjoyed talking about these matters to you. Remember that you can also go online and get our show. You can listen to our podcast at WPTF.com. And you can also join us next Saturday as well as Sunday on News Radio 680 WPTF.